We have had systematic disenfranchisement of voters. We have seen gross mismanagement of our elections. Those are all true facts. Yes, they are. Absolutely true. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Especially in Georgia. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ in Cottage Grove on KSO and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, Washington on KODX, and also in California, yes, it's a big state, on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding, KKRN in Round Mountain, and AM1480 KGOE in Eureka, not to mention AM950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We also stream every day on the internets for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger and journalist and troublemaker and muckraker and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Stop that snickering, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Who you asked are, you? No you one are, asked you. You are a very swell fellow. I can vouch for that. Thank you very much, Des. Uh, a correction, and you'll be back. Uh, by the way, no matter what happens uh, with the uh, with the uh, latest Green News report Come coming hell up or a little high bit water, later, yeah, so to speak, uh, or both. Yeah. Uh, but we like to start. I have a correction. We like to put them up front when possible. Normally, of course, it's Desi Doyen who's made a mistake <laughs> that we have to correct. But this time. <laughs> It was me, sort of. Yesterday, I said there were just two U.S. House seats that were still undecided from the November 6th midterm. Well, it looks like there is actually three, maybe even four. What? Depending on who you're asking. Uh, One of them is here in California, so I frankly have no excuse for missing it other than... It was expected to go to Republicans. It was expected to be an easy win for them the whole time. Uh, And the Republican in the race had been leading the whole time. All of the major outlets, AP, CNN, NBC, etc., they had all called this race long ago. But of course, as I always remind you, uh, that, you know, when the media call a race or even when a candidate concedes, none of that actually has any official meaning. All votes, all votes, all absentees, provisionals, vote by mails, etc., are still counted in every race, no matter how close the race is or isn't. And yes, as those ballots get tabulated and or problems in the initial official computer tallies are discovered, things can change. And yes, they have changed in at least one race out here in California. Last night, shortly after we got off the air, 
AP retracted its call. They've had to do that quite a few times in this uh, in this November 6 election. Yes, it's been it very unusual. Yeah, they uh, it's not long after we got off the air uh, yesterday, AP tweeted, uh, we are retracting our call in the race for California's 21st congressional district. The AP had declared Republican David Val- uh, Valadeo, uh, I think is how you say it, David Valadeo, the winner. However, Democrat T.J. Cox has taken the lead in the vote count adding no new call will be made until the results are certified. Sounds like a good idea. Um, all of the other outlets I mentioned have also retracted their calls in uh, for the Republican in that race. As of Monday night now, it looks like the Democrat in that race has taken the lead as votes continue to be tallied, yes, still, out here in California in the Golden State. Because we care more about getting it right than getting it fast. On Monday night, Democrat T.J. Cox took the lead over Republican Congressman David Valadeo for the first time. David Neer over at Daily Coast reports after a new batch of ballots from Kern County put him up 50.2% to 49.8% in California's 21st congressional district. Cox, who has otherwise trailed since election night, now has a margin of 438 votes over the incumbent Republican in the district that cuts through four counties in the state's interior farm belt. 438 votes out of something like um, 120, uh, I'm sorry, 220,000 or something like that. Valadeo had easily carried that district by a big margin back in 2016. It's unclear how many votes remain to be counted in those four different counties, which have until December 7 to complete their tallies. Prior to this update, Valadeo had been ahead um, by that same margin, just a few hundred votes. But the spread between the two candidates has almost continuously narrowed since election night, David Neer reports. Um, when initially Valadeo had led by more than seven points. At this point, he notes, though, the incumbent looks unlikely to reclaim that lead. If there are any remaining ballots in Kern or Fresno counties where Cox has performed well, it should be lights out for Valadeo, he says. But even if the only untallied votes are in Republican-friendly Kings and Tulare counties, um, the uh, Democrat Cox is still probably favored to win narrowly. Though, frankly, I would be surprised if uh, Valadeo or Cox, whoever is certified next week as having lost the election, I would be surprised if they don't seek a hand count, if they can afford it. Counties get to charge pretty much whatever they want for such counts here in California, and Fresno County notoriously... Go look up Fresno County at bradblog.com. You'll see what I mean. They notoriously charge way more than anybody else in the state, at least when it's a Democrat or a progressive ballot initiative seeking the recount, either by hand or by computer. So we'll see. I would expect that. Nonetheless, if Cox uh, Cox's lead here holds up, that would give Democrats an even 40-seat pickup in the House, according to David Neer, 40 seats. 
He has already called one of the undecided races in uh, in New York for the Democrat there. So that would be 40 seats. And remember, people, uh, they thought I was uh, out of my mind when I said at least 38 seats were going to go to Democrats. Uh, now it could be 40, giving the Democrats a 235 to 200 seat majority. Uh, come January in the U.S. House. According to CNN's projections, yes, they also had to retract their call on Monday night. Um, They say uh, two other races, well, this uh, California 21 and New Mexico's second congressional district. New Mexico's second congressional district is uncalled, according to CNN. The Democrat uh, leads now in both of those races. Both districts are Republican-held. But again, if the Democrats pick both of those seats up as expected and one more seat in New York, which is also expected, then it would be 40 seats for the Democrats. Uh, They have already seized six GOP held House seats out here in California. Six House seats have flipped from Democratic from Republican to Democratic Uh, Just another devastating blow to California's Republican Party, which almost doesn't exist at this point in this state. If Cox prevails in that uh, California 21 race, Democrats will hold a 46 to 7 advantage in the state's largest in the nation congressional delegation out here. 46 to 7. And that's with an independent commission that draws our uh, our districts out here, not a uh, Democratic gerrymander, although some people have concerns about that independent commission. But in any event, it's not like these extreme Republican partisan gerrymanders we've seen in other states. Um, and as uh, Desi, as you note, uh, this is also the upside of not having a ridiculously and arbitrarily short deadline for vote counting like they do. Oh, hello, Florida. Uh, officials can take their time. They can make sure that all provisional ballots are actually counted, that they contact vote by mail voters uh, with questionable signatures to make sure that the ballots sent in were actually theirs. And instead of just throwing them out, it makes a difference when you actually care about your voters. It does, doesn't it? Uh, and yeah, you can actually maybe actually figure out who won or lost an <laughs> election instead of just hurrying up to meet a deadline. <laughs> what a concept. Crazy. Uh, also, because California, by and large, at least uh, all of the counties in question here use hand-marked paper ballots, they can actually be tallied by human beings if there are any questions about the results. That is not the case, sadly, in states like Georgia, where they use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems and where, yes, an election lawsuit has now been filed. Hoping to, no, not the one you may have heard about by Stacey Abrams, but another one hoping to throw out the results of the lieutenant governor's race entirely there due to irregularities. Some very troubling ones, in fact, that we will discuss momentarily with the uh, plaintiff in that particular lawsuit, Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Government. Her group filed suit on Friday, the last day to contest Georgia's results. Even as voting is now already underway for runoff elections in several races in Georgia, including for the secretary of state's race. All of that comes just over a week since Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams ended her fight 
to win the tight race against former Republican Secretary of State and champion vote suppressor Brian Kemp in that state's race for governor. Abrams today filed her own lawsuit as well, uh, not to throw out the results, but against the massive voter suppression that took place by Brian Kemp as he oversaw his own election for governor as secretary of state. And unlike this uh, suit in the lieutenant governor's race, Abrams, as I said, does not seek a new election. A new election. We'll talk to Marilyn about that suit as well momentarily. But Abrams was on CNN today after filing uh, her lawsuit and was essentially hectored, I think is the word to use, by Jake Tapper over whether she felt Brian Kemp's illegitimate victory was legitimate. Do you think that Brian Kemp is not the legitimate governor-elect of Georgia? The law as it stands says that he received an adequate number of votes to become the governor of Georgia. And I acknowledge the law as it stands. I am a lawyer by training, and I am someone who's taken a constitutional oath to uphold the law. But we know sometimes the law does not do what it should, and that something being legal does not make it right. This is someone who has compromised our systems. He's compromised our democratic systems, and that is not appropriate. And therefore, my mission is going to be to make certain no one else has to face this conversation. Going forward, we are going to ensure that there are fair fights in the state of Georgia and that voter protection is more than a slogan, that it is actually a common cause that cuts across partisanship. Because as I said, there are Republicans who were harmed, Democrats who were harmed, independents who were harmed. And that is wrong in one of the original 13 colonies, one of the founding blocks of mm -hmm. our democracy. And I want Georgia to be better. Is he the legitimate governor-elect of Georgia? He is the person who won an adequate number of votes but that's to not, become the governor of, with of all, Georgia. With all due respect, and I respect where you're coming from, and I respect the, the issues that you're raising, you're not answering the question. Do you think it I was... Am, I am. No, I, I, I not do... You're not using the word legitimate. Is he the legitimate governor-elect of Georgia? He is the legal governor of Georgia. And, and here's the thing, Jake. I want to be very clear. Words have meaning. And I've spent my lifetime not only as an attorney but as a writer... And I'm very careful with the words I choose. And yes, when he takes the oath of office, he will be the legal governor of the state of Georgia. He is the legal victor. But what you are looking for me to say is that there was no compromise of our democracy and that there should be some political compromise in the language I use. And that's not right. Are you at all concerned that your words this morning and, and uh, in your speech Friday will undermine faith in the democratic process? Not at all, because... The words I use are very specific. We have had systematic disenfranchisement of voters. We have seen gross mismanagement of our elections. And we have seen an erosion of faith in our democracy and our state. Those are all true facts. But these are all solvable problems. And that's why I'm proud to be an American. It's why I'm proud to be a Georgian. And it's why I'm taking up Fair Fight Georgia. Because faith is not enough. We have to have action married to that faith. And I would argue faith has nothing to do with elections. Elections are about uh, checks and balances and, most importantly, public oversight. That was Stacey Abrams on CNN Today, where she has uh, a former Democratic candidate for governor in the great state of Georgia. She's filed a lawsuit 
to try to stop some of the massive voter suppression in the future and, yes, to call for paper ballots for every vote cast so that maybe we, yes, can actually have public oversight of our elections to help avoid what we're about to talk about next. We'll take a quick break here and we'll come back with Marilyn Marks, who is suing the state of Georgia to throw out the results of the lieutenant governor's race from November 6. She'll be here to explain why and much more straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Well, at least the lights didn't go out in Georgia on Election Day. That's about the best I might be able to say about the election that was held in Georgia. You thought our midterm election coverage of the Peach State was finished? Well, silly you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The irreconcilably illegitimate race for governor in the great state of Georgia That may be over with Republican Secretary of State and Voter Suppression Champion of the Year Brian Kemp overseeing his own tight race for governor against Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, who would have been the nation's first African-American female governor had she been able to overcome Kemp's massive voter suppression efforts before the election and during the counting, frankly such as more than a million voters were purged from the voting rolls in recent years. There were rejected absentee and provisional ballots for alleged signature mismatches in the state and other related techniques used to shave off votes, allowing Brian Kemp to avoid a runoff contest with Abrams by just 22 one hundredths of a percent or 0.22 percent. It also doesn't hurt that all the votes cast at the polling place on Election Day were cast on oft-failed, easily hackable, almost 20-year-old, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting machines made by the now-defunct Diebold Election Systems, Inc., That only skims the surface of why we have long argued now that a win by Kemp at this point in the governor's race cannot possibly be seen as legitimate. To that end, Stacey Abrams has formed a new group called Fair Fight Georgia, and today they have filed a federal voter suppression lawsuit against Brian Kemp in the state of Georgia over what they allege to be gross mismanagement of the election, asking for paper ballots from here on out in Georgia's elections. Well, there's an idea. The suit filed on Tuesday, however, will not affect the final results of the race between Kemp and Abrams. In the meantime, a a lawsuit was filed over the holiday weekend in Georgia in the lieutenant governor's race between Democratic candidate Sarah Riggs uh, Amico and Republican Jeff Duncan, uh, who has now been certified as the winner by about three and a half points in that race. 
But that lawsuit was not filed by the Democratic candidate in the lieutenant governor's race. It was filed by the Coalition for Good Governance, the nonpartisan nonprofit group that has filed several lawsuits over the past several months in the Peach State, challenging their use of 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems prior to the election, which the judge in the federal case had found to be completely unreliable for use in any election, before then allowing them to be used anyway instead of paper ballots just before the November 6th midterms, finding that a switch to the same paper ballots used for absentee voting but at the polling place would just cause too much chaos at the polls with such short notice. The coalition also successfully sued to force at least one county, Gwinnett County, one of the, nation, one of the state's most diverse, to give voters a chance to cure absentee ballots which Gwinnett had rejected at an alarming rate, particularly for African-American voters, due to what partisan election officials, untrained in handwriting expertise, saw to be mismatched signatures. But their newest suit in Georgia calls for the results of the lieutenant governor's race to be tossed entirely. Really? Jordan Wilkie over at Who, What, Why reported over the holiday weekend that the complaint filed late on Friday contesting the outcome of the lieutenant governor's race could provide a rare glimpse into the state's election infrastructure and an opportunity to audit its non-transparent voting machines. Is that even possible? Joining us now to explain what is possible and what isn't is the Coalition for Good Governance's executive director, longtime election integrity champion and friend of both Bradblog.com and the Bradcast, Marilyn Marks, who, like me, is still fighting for every vote and every voter from the November 6, 2018 midterm elections, even three weeks after Election Day. Marilyn, welcome back to the Bradcast. I hope you have been able to get a little bit of rest since Election Day out there. <laughs> Brad, not a chance yet. It <laughs> won't be for a while. Um, as you know, we, we've spent the last several days uh, filing this newest lawsuit. Yep. Very last minute, got it in just under the wire on Friday night. And so there's there's no not going to be any rest for the Georgia weary for a while. Understood. And I and I have a lot of questions about that lawsuit that I want to get to. But uh, we've had you on a bunch of times over the past months now to discuss the and various nightmares. Well, thank you for being there to do it. The various nightmares, as I said, legal and otherwise in Georgia in the run up to the midterm. But we haven't had you on since Election Day to discuss how things actually went on Election Day and how things are still going there now with your lawsuit and with several important runoff elections coming up in Georgia from the midterms, including for secretary of state. Uh, this uh, those runoffs are set for next Tuesday, December four, I believe. Early voting is already underway there. So let me start there for a moment, uh, Marilyn. Uh, a runoff race I know that you're watching closely is the Secretary of State runoff between Republican Brad Raffensperger and Democrat John Barrow. And as much as we root for anyone named Brad here on the broadcast, given Kemp's uh. abuse of power. <laughs> As the Republican Secretary of State, it's hard to root for another Republican in that position. Will they once again be using the unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in this runoff one week from uh, today? Sadly, Brad, they, they are indeed. They're already using them. They started yesterday morning. They're using them despite all of the warnings, and you know all of the warnings that they have had 
every every group from the federal court to the uh, National Academy of Science has warned them not to do this. They're doing it anyway. And we even, as you recall, had mm-hmm. gone back to the court in October and asked the court, please, at least for December, use paper ballots. And, and the court did not um, grant us that, that request. Um, and, yes, we're, we're distressed to see this happening. And you were mentioning Brad Raffensperger on the ballot mm-hmm. as the Secretary of State candidate for the Republican Party. I understand, and I've been traveling today, so I haven't seen it myself, but several people have called me and said that he earlier today has doubled down on support for uh, electronic ballot marking devices and is against hand-marked paper ballots. Mm. And and how about so we've got <laughs> how about the Democrat there, John Barrow? Has he at least come out for uh, hand-marked paper ballots as opposed to computer-marked barcoded? He has. He, has. Uh, he will not consider barcoded um, ballots according to the talks with him and his mm-hmm. public position. He is for hand-marked paper ballots counted by optical scan and then with robust post-election audits to make sure that the optical scanner is read correctly. Well, so uh, he is taking the position that most election integrity people um, support, well, and that is for an evidence-based election. Exactly, because a barcoded ballot, you can never know, a barcoded or computer-printed paper ballot, so quote-unquote paper ballot, you can never know if it actually reflects the will of the voters. But on this runoff, Marilyn, I mean, there's only like two races on the ballot, Secretary of State and Public Service Commissioner, as I recall. How hard would that be to uh, not only hand-mark a paper ballot, but hell, you could hand-count those uh, those ballots in no time flat. Uh, well, that's for sure. That's for sure, Brad. And but unfortunately, the Secretary of State has taken, and and the local election officials keep taking the position that somehow that's just too hard for Georgians to do. That it would just be too confusing for them to have to pick up a pen and color in the ovals. And now, as and I, I think that's rather insulting. Uh, well, yeah, it is. But as I understand it, in order to use these touchscreens again, uh, basically one month after the uh, after the November 6th general election, they're reprogramming the computers, the, the, the touchscreens that were used on Election Day in violation of their own state law, which says they must not disturb those machines for one month after the election. Is that correct? Um, that is correct, Brad. And and. You know, Jordan Wilkie also wrote about this, the fact that they are absolutely violating their own law. And just within the last few hours, we have had yet another fight with the Secretary of State's office about this. Not only did we need those machines preserved for our core case, the the election security case that's in federal court, but also we certainly need them in this new case that um, that challenges the election results for the lieutenant governor's race. We have continued to, over the last week and then yet again this afternoon, said to the Secretary of State, your rule, your own election code says they cannot touch these machines, the internal memory, for one month if, if there is no election contest pending. Now there is an election contest pending. Obviously, they are needed as evidence, Mm -hmm. and the secretary, as of today, is continuing to take the position that overriding 
the data, uploading uploading new um, uh, ballot programming for the December fourth runoff, and putting these machines out in unsecured voting places mm-hmm. somehow does not does not make the internal memory data at risk. That's just foolish in anyone's mind. And I want to talk know? about and I, I want to talk about how that will actually affect the the lieutenant governor's uh, the contest that you filed the um, the lawsuit that you filed. Uh, but before I get to that, yeah. let me very quickly ask you. Um, about this lawsuit. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. It was just filed. I have not yet had a chance to read it. Um, uh, This was uh, filed by uh, Stacey Abrams, uh, her team, her new uh, group, Fair Fight Georgia. They said they intend to contest the the elections in Georgia in general, the way they're run, but not their actual, uh, not her actual uh, election for governor. Is that how you understand this this uh, lawsuit? Uh, as well? Yes, that's right. And and um, Brad, I've had about three minutes to skim through it, mm-hmm. and it's a sixty six page complaint, so I've certainly not had chance to digest it. But you're right; they are uh, making general allegations about the method of voting voter registration, mm-hmm. all of the voter suppression, the mechanics of voting even on the uh, DRE machines, they are taking a very broad brush approach to Georgia's very questionable um, voting system. And they are asking a federal court for prospective relief. Um, no doubt this will be a, a very hard fought, very long it will have a very, very long lead time on it, I think, um, uh, for this case. They are not, you know, asking to overturn any of the elections. In fact, it is too late to do that. The, the deadlines have now passed. Well, and we filed on the deadline for the, for the lieutenant governor's race. And so there are no more uh, races that can be hmm. contested. Okay, so you guys did that on the last day for the lieutenant governor's race, and one that's correct. One uh-huh. more uh, question before I get to that: Your group, uh, Coalition for Good Governance, and other voting rights uh, groups, Common Cause, ACLU, and so forth, filed a number of lawsuits uh, before the election and even during the uh, November sixth contest. But the did the Abrams campaign and the state Democrats in general join you in those suits? For example, your fight uh, to to get a, a hand-marked paper ballot for every voter in Georgia? Uh, or did they otherwise take action to avoid what I now see in the governor's race as a completely illegitimate election? No, sadly they didn't. They focused their resources on get-out-the-vote work. And their idea was that if they could get out the vote, that somehow they could mitigate for all of these fundamental process problems. And I think that 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 theory was shown to be far too optimistic um, because there were too many voters that got caught in a, um, a system of not having their votes counted. And then we have no idea how many had machine their machine votes flipped, not counted, counted backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 unknown. But now I think people realize that Brad, all of these warnings that you've been giving how many years now? Like sixteen, eighteen years. Yeah. Yep. Um. And the and the the specific warnings that we gave in our lawsuits and before, 
those those warnings now were became quite tangible. They are no long no one can any longer think of them as theoretical. But sadly, um, the the Democratic Party and the Abrams campaign did not join us in the prophylactic measures that could have been taken to avoid this. What we had hoped is that the Abrams campaign and the Democratic Party would go to each county, each of the 159 counties in Georgia. They all have local election boards that are bipartisan with Democrats and Republicans appointed by their parties. Each of them could have chosen paper ballots. 159 counties chose on their bipartisan local county boards, not to. When you say that Democrats uh, had hoped to mitigate any problems uh, with get out the vote, is is this the idea that I've heard from many Democrats over the years, is that, oh, we just have to turn out in such huge numbers that they could not possibly uh, steal the election, that voter suppression won't end up costing us the race? Uh, is, is that the notion that uh, you saw the Democrats working on there? And does this that election prove that doesn't work? <laughs> I mean... Well, of course, it's just uh, one woman's opinion, but um, that appeared to be the approach they took. Um, They really did 100% offense, very little defense, Mm. Um, and the the work that we saw taking place in terms of poll watchers and that sort of work was Mm -hmm. was pretty um, uh, was pretty traditional, I will call it, as opposed to really uh, really challenging some of the many wrong things that were happening throughout early voting and in the polling place and then documenting um, as we would like to have seen documented the the errors so that they could have been challenged mm. um, more easily I, I think that almost every person on the ballot um, in in all the ballot questions certainly had a basis for a challenge had enough been documented um, you know, as a mm. lieutenant governor, we have a little different situation. We'll come back and talk to that. But I think that Democrats, hopefully, will will take a lesson from this, that you cannot overcome um, these fundamental um, uh, efforts, mm. whether it's a hacking of a machine, manipulation of a machine, or even, or even unintentional programming errors. You can't bet on overcoming that with with turnout. And and that's, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of election integrity advocates are born after they have lost an election, uh, which is why we try to uh, raise these issues before it becomes an issue. Uh, and to that end, let's move to your newest lawsuit in Georgia, where Jordan Wilkie at Who, What, Why reports your suit will attempt to prove that there were enough irregularities in the lieutenant governor's race between Democrat Sarah Riggs Amico and Republican Jeff Duncan to, as the complaint charges, to place doubt in the results. Uh, As of now, Duncan, the Republican, was certified the winner with uh, 51.63% of the vote to Riggs Amico's 48.37. That's a fairly sizable, almost three-and-a-half-point margin. So why should those results be in doubt, Marilyn Marks, according to your lawsuit? Well... When you begin to read the complaints that mm-hmm. voters turned in, that voters are calling us about, there were just innumerable reports of voters who didn't have this race show up on their electronic ballot. 
didn't show up at uh, all on the race. When they... Well, uh, apparently they didn't. It didn't show up until some people, in fact, did find it on their review screen, their summary screen. That you know how as you scroll through and you do your votes, and just before you hit the cast my ballot button, mm-hmm. you know it gives you a review. Mm-hmm. Well, for many voters, apparently that's the first time they saw. Um, the lieutenant governor race. And then apparently one of two things happened for those per- this particular subset of folks. One of two things happened. Either they were able to then go back and uh, make a selection in the lieutenant governor race, or in many cases, apparently, when they got to the review screen, staring at it, trying to get ready to, to cast a vote, or excuse me, to, to, to make a correction mm-hmm. without even touching the screen, it automatically casts the vote and, this, and the message comes up. Thank you for voting. Your vote was cast. We've seen many, many complaints from voters on the fact that they never had the chance. Once they realized that they had not been able to vote in the lieutenant governor's race, and even before they started to take take action to mm-hmm. put their hand over the mach- machine to do it that it was too late the ballot was cast and i gotta say and that we don't know of course uh because you know we don't have a videotape of this happening it happens so quickly and and the cat the vote is already cast and at that point there's nothing that can be done about it and so you could have people saying well uh, I meant to vote in that race, but I didn't uh, because I couldn't, etc. But we actually have evidence that I believe you filed with your lawsuit here showing some kind of remarkable data uh, in what you describe as the residual vote. And that is a, a, a residual vote is a vote where uh, a ballot where there is no vote uh, f- at all for the candidate or there is an overvote. In other words, they voted for too many uh, people for that candidate. In any event, the uh, the computers show no vote in that race, correct? That's a residual vote? That's correct. All right. right. Y- the charts filed with your lawsuit for the residual votes in the lieutenant governor's race, in other words, where no uh, vote was uh, was recorded, is way, way higher than any of the other statewide statewide races. It's almost twice that of all of the uh, uh, these races that are farther down on the ballot, like Secretary of State, right. Insurance Commissioner, School Superintendent, the and Agriculture Commissioner, yeah. not things that are. You know, this is the lieutenant governor's race is the second highest office in the state, and some people don't understand. Uh, the residents of Georgia do, but maybe outside of Georgia, the the lieutenant governor is also the president of the Senate and mm-hmm. basically controls all of the legislation uh, coming through ca- coming through the Capitol. So it is a very powerful position. You know, how could we believe that there is more interest in the commissioner of insurance, commissioner of agriculture? Public Service Commission race than the lieutenant governor race. Yeah, it's not even close. And then, just in case people think, oh, okay, well, maybe people are interested in the agriculture uh, commissioner in Georgia, but not so much the lieutenant governor. Um, no, that's not the case if we compare year over year, comparing the uh, 2018 election with the 2014 election. The residual uh, rates for all of those races were pretty much all in line for governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, ag commissioner, and so forth. Um, back in 2014, but in 2018, again, boom, lieutenant governor 
through the roof with residual votes. What could possibly explain this <laughs> at this point, Marilyn? Well, when people give me, and they've given me some pretty silly explanations, which I won't even bore you with, um, but when you say, but now wait a minute, there was no meaningful drop-off at all if we just look at paper ballots. You know, I don't know if you had a chance to see that in the in the filing, mm-hmm. Brad, but if you look at the mail-in ballots and the provisional ballots, there was virtually no drop-off. So the only so drop-off, the, drop-off the only... Res- on the machines. Uh-huh. The, on the touchscreen, only the residual rate uh, of no vote at all for lieutenant governor. That only happened on the touchscreens, not on the paper ballots. And there were a lot of paper ballots, a lot of uh, mail-in, because uh, Stacey Abrams had been pushing for uh, vote-by-mail for a lot of people. The rate is all the same for on the, on the uh, paper yeah, ballots. Or very close. It, yeah. uh, very close. It was much more traditional. Yes, yeah, some people go and only vote the top race. But it was very, very close to nothing in terms of the, um, uh, the, the level of voting for lieutenant governor when you look at the paper ballots. So what this tells us is that the undervote is related only to the machines. Now, please explain that. I was hoping you could. You got the lawsuit. I can't. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if if we're if we're bring, if we're focusing only on uh, this problem only happening on the machines, and it's clearly a problem when you look at this data, uh, and happening only on the machines, that means it is either uh, you know a nefarious uh, hack or something of some sort, or misprogramming, a less nefarious misprogramming. It's got to be one or the other, doesn't it? And what if so? It, what does that? What does your lawsuit ask uh, as the remedy here? Well, certainly the the remedy is to rerun the election on a verifiable, evidence based um, process. Um, the we just cannot have people have an election where you just have to guess at what the. Uh, on various theories as to uh, what the result was. Um, so, yes, it could, be, it could be a programming error. It could be a hack. Um, but what we do know is all machines did not behave the same. We have people prepared, willing to give us affidavits that say, as far as I could tell, my machine showed no problem. You know, I've, she was on the first page of my ballot. Mm-hmm. I had no issue on my electronic ballot. You know, I had no issue, voted all the way through. It's fine. Now we have many other people who did not have that. So there were clearly problems in some machines and not others. And But yet they were all programmed. Every single machine is identical, and every machine was programmed by the Secretary of State's office. So... What could be causing this glitch? We don't know right now, Brad, and of course that's why we are seeking the preservation of this electronic evidence, and that is why we will be asking for discovery, and we may be going into the court as early as tomorrow with a motion to try to preserve this equipment because um, the the officials are recklessly... um, avoiding preserving the equipment and that's what uh, I it takes us I've just got a minute or two left here Marilyn Marks but uh, that takes us back to the earlier point has the evidence in question here these machines uh, has the evidence now been destroyed because 
the machines have been reprogrammed for the runoff coming up in those other races on uh, on Tuesday. So, so Brad, we're hoping that there are still machines that have not been reprogrammed um, because they this particular runoff is going to see such a low turnout and there are fewer um, uh, early voting places, mm-hmm. for example. There will be fewer machines used in the precincts and as a result, we we believe that um, there will be some machines that will not be scheduled for reprogramming, and we're trying to catch them before there's any chance that they are put through reprogramming. And will you be allowed to have uh, so we're experts examine those machines? Because for years they don't let anybody yes, uh, examine them. So will that be allowed in this suit for a forensic uh, well, study? Well, it will be up to the judge, but I can't imagine how a judge is going to say, no, you've presented all of this evidence that there was some kind of problem. Machines were behaving differently from polling place A to polling place B. I'm not going to let you figure out why. It's hard to imagine that the judge is going to do that, given the level of evidence we have now. And, Brad, I think the thing that is different now than what we've had in the past, you know, we've worked on this, this, uh, unverifiable voting in the courts now for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Now we have court rulings that say this is not a reasonable method of voting. These machines are not reliable. We've got, you know, court opinions that say this is highly questionable. Therefore, I think that, that a judge in a election case can now more easily look to court opinions, mm-hmm. court rulings that, that that give this judge the basis of of saying, yeah, there is plenty of reason yep. that a hard look needs to be taken. Yeah, your judge. So I'm hopeful that our past work will will be of a real investment that pays benefits now. Yep, you're right. Your judge should certainly be sympathetic to uh, these concerns, given that you warned about all of these concerns in advance, and now they seem to have potentially come to pass in the lieutenant governor's race. Marilyn, before I let you go very quickly, is Sarah Riggs uh, Amico, the uh, the Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor, uh, I she is not join, uh, joining your suit as a plaintiff, is she? And if not, why not? Well, no, she is she is not joining. Uh, we are doing this, Brad, on a nonpartisan, as we do all our work, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are doing this on a nonpartisan basis on behalf of voters. We are not doing this on the part of the Democratic Party or of Sarah Miko. In fact, I only met Sarah for the first time and ever so briefly last week. I've never had any contact with her before. Um, and this is something we decided we wanted to do because of the machines, the data, the problems that we show, um, not because of a political reason. As you know, I'm a Republican, yeah. and uh, one of my lawyers on this is a Republican, and one of our plaintiffs is um, is a Libertarian. So we're we're coming at this from a standpoint of having a election integrity uh, or election. Um, it, process in Georgia that has integrity, not for any partisan reasons. Marilyn Marks, Executive Director of the Coalition for Good Governance. You can find them at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. You can and should follow Marilyn on the Twitters at Marilyn R. Marks 1. That's the number one, Marilyn R. Marks 1. And I hope you will consider supporting the work that the uh, coalition does uh, because 
there is really nobody out there fighting these fights, um, certainly in advance of, uh, you know, when an election goes south, but now even after uh, an election to try to figure out what the hell happened. Uh, Marilyn Marks, thank you for your efforts and stay thank in touch. You, Brad. Look forward to hearing how we'll this uh, lawsuit goes. Thank you. We'll keep you posted. Thanks. Bye bye. I didn't even have time to ask her about this ranked choice voting uh, contest recount that they're about to have up in Maine, <laughs> which uh, Marilyn ran as a Republican in Colorado in a ranked choice election and for some reason lost the race. And she has no idea why the candidate up in Maine feels the same way right now and is asking for a recount. We'll have to cover it on another day. However, so many election problems, so little time. Indeed. Got to get out. So we have time for the Green News Report. Coming up next with Desi Doyen, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. So, Desi Doyen, my question for you before we get to the Green News Report. Do you think that the Trump administration releasing this major climate report uh, on a, on the Friday after Thanksgiving, do you, trying to bury it, do you think that ended up burying it or did it get more attention because of that than it would have otherwise? To be honest, I think they actually did that to themselves. I think it did garner much more coverage than it would have otherwise. And it would have fallen down the memory hole yeah. if they had released it on a Tuesday. Because the media were more than happy. They were more than ready to completely ignore that report. Oh, yeah. <laughs> until Trump tried to hide it, uh, which is the topic of our conversation on today's Green News Report. We're much farther down this road than we ever should have allowed ourselves to get. Green News Report special coverage. Major U.S. climate report warns global warming is already devastating America's environment and economy. And unless we act aggressively to reduce its impacts, it's going to get much worse. All of that fantastic news and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This is a report generated by people who, have, who are in the bureaucracy. This, these are not Trump appointees. I mean, this, this report's been generated for... Meaning they're non-political. Well, no, that, that I... Well, yes. Rick Santorum, boy, is Pennsylvania lucky they voted you out of the U.S. Senate. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, let's start with at least some good news. The historic campfire up in Northern California that obliterated the town of Paradise is now 100% contained. 
As of airtime, the fire has killed at least 85 people and destroyed 14,000 residences. The list of missing, and I suppose this is good news, has now dropped below 300. All of that happened after this remarkable national climate assessment was being put together by, yes, the Trump administration. Yes, and according to the disturbing, comprehensive new federal national climate assessment, the breathtaking scale of the campfire is yet another sign that man-made climate change is already wreaking havoc on the U.S., and the record extreme weather disasters we've seen in recent years are a harbinger of worse to come. The Trump administration did try to bury the release of that report on the Friday after Thanksgiving. The assessment is a joint report on climate change by 13 U.S. federal agencies, required by law every four years. Now, this newest assessment is dire and blunt and finds the devastating effects of climate change are, quote, intensifying across the country with adverse effects on the economy, public health and the environmental systems we rely on to survive. The report states that the evidence behind man-made climate change is, quote, overwhelming. It precisely details how these physical climate changes will translate into specific economic damages for each region and each economic sector in the U.S. Good. They may not care about the climate, but... Maybe these Republicans give a damn about the economy? Mm, We'll see. It finds that climate change will be expensive, far more expensive than reducing emissions by transitioning away from fossil fuels. The costs are staggering by 2100. Bigger, more destructive wildfires in California, bigger, more destructive storms and floods in Texas and the Northeast, more coastal flooding at high tide in Florida, water shortages in the Southwest. Midwest corn yields, for example, will plunge 75 percent by 2100 because of intensifying heat waves, droughts and floods. Rising seas will force mass migration away from the coasts. And they note our aging infrastructure in the U.S. was not built for these extremes. Damages to the nation's roads, bridges, and water systems will cost more than $30 billion a year. And $30 billion a year is actually a small number compared to some of these others in this remarkable report. It concludes that by the end of the century, climate change will cost a full 10% of the national GDP. That is more than twice the amount of money that was lost during the Great Recession 10 years ago. Not only will climate change be expensive, but it will also harm Americans' health. Now, remember, 2016 was the hottest year on record so far, but by 2050, it will be an average year. By 2100, average temperatures in the U.S. will rise nearly 10 degrees Fahrenheit, bringing more frequent deadly heat waves and also increasing the spread of insect-borne diseases. 10 degrees Fahrenheit, that's the average increase across the country. Exactly. But the report also finds that reducing these risks through mitigation and adaptation can greatly reduce these losses by half in most sectors, with the side benefit of also cutting the cost of health care impacts from pollution. Obviously, the Trump administration and Republicans in Congress are against taking any action and are actually actively making carbon emissions worse. On Monday, President Trump rejected both the science and the economic impact impacts of climate change in the report. Yeah, I don't believe it. No, no, I don't believe it. The report from his own administration. Climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann of Penn State University on a recent broadcast compared the road to severe climate change to a highway, one that we can choose to exit at any time. Yeah, well, every bit of progress makes a difference. 
there is still time to take the actions necessary to avert that sort of future. And how bad we're willing to let it get you know, the only decision we, we have to make at this point is uh, how quickly do we get off that highway? Someone, please pull this car over. For much more on this startling national climate assessment and much more we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Certainly are. Stop the world. I want to get off the Indeed. highway to hell. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. We got a uh, quick uh, update, unfortunately, from the campfire since we laid down our Green News report today. The uh, death toll has now risen to 88. Yes. Is that the last? 88. But uh, the the missing list has dropped down to 203. That's good news, as long as that keeps falling. That's still yes. a whole lot of missing for this late in the game. It most so, definitely is, yeah. and uh, efforts continue to find housing for those who have been homeless, made homeless and jobless by this devastating fire. 240 square miles burned. I'm sure the uh, Trump administration is coming in with all sorts of resources. FEMA is all over the place. They're not going to let these people go uh, cold and uh, homeless up in Northern California, right? Oh, not so much, but they are ready to go in with some commercial logging. They've been talking about that uh, all week. Yeah, that seems to be the priority, right? Instead yep. of taking care of the Americans. All right, we got to get out. Thank you very much, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. Uh, and to my guest today, Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Share it with everyone you know. Drive them crazy. <laughs> you can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad blog. And by the way, while you're being uh, harassed by tons of emails and everything else about Black Friday and Cyber Monday and everything else, uh, as the end of the year approaches, please consider spending your money on something that actually does the world some good. That would be supporting the Bradcast. You can uh, donate to our efforts by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We survive only with your support. No corporate uh, support, no political support, just listeners at bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. All right. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Emma.